The Ashling Murphy murder trial has begun at Dublin's Central Criminal Court. The 23-year-old teacher was killed while out for a run on the banks of the Grand Canal near her home in Tullamore, County Offaly, on a bright January afternoon. A forensic tent marks the spot where, along the banks of the Grand Canal, a young primary school teacher who graduated just three months ago was murdered. Tullamore and the wider area is this evening numb with shock and grief. No stone will be left unturned in bringing this perpetrator of this crime to justice. Last week, the nine men and three women of the jury listened as the prosecution laid out its case against Joseph Pushka, a 33-year-old Slovakian national. He has pleaded not guilty to the murder. We have heard that Mr. Pushka is a native of Slovakia. He has five children. He's been living uh, at Linali Grove in Mukla, County Offaly, for the last 12 years, and he has denied the murder of Miss Murphy. He's accompanied in the courtroom by a Slovakian interpreter throughout the trial, and she is seated alongside him. Some members of his family have been attending the trial during the first week. As the trial starts its second week, Irish Times legal affairs correspondent Mary Carolyn reports on what the court has heard so far. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, what happened in the first week of the Ashling Murphy murder trial? Mary, I think it's difficult for people not used to court or the way trials work. And I suppose particularly in such a high profile case that this is not about the victim. It's about the accused. Is that a particularly difficult dynamic in a case like this? Yes, and that was acknowledged by uh, Anne-Marie Lawler, uh, senior counsel for the DPP, in her opening address to the jury. She said to them that they must approach the evidence in a cold, clinical and dispassionate way, that their task was to decide whether Joseph Puska was guilty or not guilty of the murder of Ashley Murphy, that the case was not about the victim, that it must be decided on the evidence, that it couldn't be decided on the basis of sympathy. And the task for the prosecution was to prove their case beyond reasonable doubt. Now, Miss Murphy's family are sitting in court uh, listening to all of this evidence. So obviously uh, this is quite difficult for them to hear, but that is the nature of murder trials, that they are about the evidence, they are not about the victim. If there is a conviction at the end of a case, then the judge will hear victim impact statements. And really that's probably the only point in a murder trial when the victim becomes centre stage. So Mary, the way things go is that at the beginning of the trial, any trial, the prosecution makes their opening address and that's basically to set out their stall and let the jury know what evidence they'll be hearing over the course of the trial. And I I think it's important to say that this isn't evidence in itself, it's more an insight into the evidence that's to come. So let's go through some of the main points that prosecuting barrister Anne-Marie Lawler told the court in her opening speech. 
Firstly, what did we learn from this about how Ashling Murphy died? Because I think I'm right in saying that up until last week, we didn't know any of the details. So what did the court hear about her cause of death and where she was found? Yes, there was very little detail prior to the trial about the cause of death and the events leading up to the death of Miss Murphy. And what Miss Lawler said was that Miss Murphy was at the time of her death aged 23 and she was working as a primary school teacher in the National School in Durrow in County Offaly. She had gone for some exercise on the canal near her home on the afternoon of the 12th of January 2022 and she was killed about half past three that day, Miss Lawler said. She said that uh, Mr. Puska was charged with murder, uh, which she said is unlawful killing with the intention to kill or to cause serious injury. And she said that the jury would hear evidence that Miss Murphy was stabbed 11 times to the side of her neck. And the prosecution would say that a person who stabbed somebody in such a way uh, intended to kill or cause serious injury. She said that uh, the evidence was Miss Murphy was killed on a stretch of canal concrete footpath with a grass verge to a ravine uh, that was completely covered with briars and brambles. And she said that was significant because Mr. Pushka had cuts on pretty much every exposed part of his body, which she said was consistent with him leaving the scene through dense undergrowth. Uh, she also said that uh, neither Mr. Pushka, who's from the Slovak Republic, uh, or Miss Murphy knew each other or had had any prior contact. She also said that what she described as a somewhat distinctive bicycle was left beside Miss Murphy's body. And the prosecution case was that Mr. Pushka left his bicycle, which is a green falcon storm bike uh, with a black body and green markings beside the scene of the crime. In this opening address, the prosecution also spoke about an admission that Pushka is said to have made to Gardaí two days after the attack while he was in St. James's Hospital in Dublin being treated for some injuries. What can you tell me about that? Yes, the prosecution case is that Mr. Puska killed Miss Murphy and that he left Tullamore that night. And they say that they have CCTV showing him at the front door of his parents' house in Crumlin in the early hours of January the 13th. And it's cases that he was also seen leaving that house clean shaven just before noon on January the 13th, apparently having suffered an injury. And their evidence will be that uh, Mr. Puska was brought to St. James's Hospital in Dublin and that he had said he was stabbed in Blanchardstown, where there actually had been a stabbing the previous evening, Miss Lawler said. She said that Gardy from Blanchardstown went to St. James Hospital to ask him about the Blanchardstown incident. And a guard had noted uh, what he described as a very cut and scratched hand of Mr. Pushka. And he'd taken a photograph of that. And Miss Lawler said the jury will see that photograph. She said that Gardy and Tullamore were contacted by the Gardy in Blanchardstown for reasons, including that Mr. Pushka had come from Tullamore. Uh, Mr. Pushka had surgery on the night of the 13th of January. And the guards from Offaly spoke to him the following day, she said. She said that Mr. Puska had told Agarda that he was from Mukla and that he came up from Tullamore, that he got a lift to Houston Station and a taxi to Blanchardstown to meet a woman and that he was jumped on when he got out of the taxi. She said on that same evening, the 14th of January, 
guards got a search warrant to take items from Mr. Pushka at the hospital. And the prosecution case was that a guard was speaking to Mr. Pushka and had an interpreter on the phone and that the interpreter had said that uh, Mr. Pushka wanted the interpreter to translate word for word what Mr. Pushka was about to say. And then that Mr. Pushka had made certain admissions The jury was told that he had said through the interpreter, I did it, I murdered, I am the murderer. And that he also said he was sorry he didn't do it intentionally. He was shown a photograph of Miss Murphy, the prosecution say, and they say he had said, I'm sorry, I see a girl I've never seen before. I have knife I use for a chain. When she passed, I cut her. I cut her neck. She panic, I panic. And that he had asked, will I go for 10 years? Miss Lawler said that this was hugely significant evidence and that Mr. Pushka was accepting responsibility for having killed Ashleen Murphy. She said that Miss Murphy was stabbed 11 times to the neck by Mr. Pushka and there was no other conclusion from the evidence, but that this was an intentional act of murder. So the jury heard that the Gardaí had gathered about 25,000 hours of CCTV footage. And the prosecuting barrister also said that there will be DNA evidence presented to the court. What do we know about this DNA evidence? Well, what the jury have been told is that DNA was taken from Mr. Pushka and that it matched DNA taken from under the fingernails of Ashleen Murphy, that with only a one in 14,000 chance of it matching somebody else. We've yet to hear any detail in relation to the DNA evidence. We have heard some detail in relation to the CCTV evidence. Uh, luckily for the jury, they don't have to watch all 25,000 hours but the guards have used it to provide what the prosecution say is a chronology of relevant movements of Mr. Pushka. They say that uh, Miss Murphy was killed about half past three on the 12th of January and that from about 12.25 p.m. that day that Mr. Pushka is seen on, on the CCTV, not continuously, but until about five past two that day, cycling around Tullamore. And the prosecution uh, say that there's what they described as uh, aimless meandering through Tullamore by Mr. Puska over about 90 minutes. And that the jury would see on two occasions that Mr. Puska is in what Miss Lawley described as in close proximity to two women. She said one of those women went into a shop uh, blissfully unaware of the manner in which Mr. Puska was cycling behind her. And that the second woman had told Gardie she became aware a man was cycling slowly behind her and she had described him staring at her. As I've said, the prosecution case is that Mr. Puska was cycling his Green Falcon Storm bike with a black body and green markings and that bike was left beside the scene of the crime. Coming up. The court hears from the first witnesses. I'll continue my conversation with Mary Carolyn after this short break.
Mary, following the opening address last week, the next day, the court heard from a witness called Jenna Stack. She's a teacher. She was out for a run with her friend Aoife on the afternoon of January the 12th. What can you tell us about her testimony and what did she say she saw that day? Yes, she said she was out running with her friend Aoife Marin and uh, they were running towards Cap and Kerr near Tullamore and she had noticed a bicycle with uh, distinctive green markings in a hedgerow. She said just after that uh, they heard rustling, uh, which she said sounded more than an animal and they stopped and uh, she said her friend shouted through the hedge are you okay? And Miss Stack said that she saw through the hedge a man crouched over a girl uh, and she described the girl, his legs were kicking very hard like she was crying out for help. She said that when her friend had asked, are you okay? A man had turned and she said it was as if he was crouched over something. Um, She said when he turned, she could see his face clearly, but not his hands. And she could see a girl's leg kicking. And she said she asked him what he was doing and uh, that he said, get away. And his teeth were gritted. She said it was terrifying. She said that he spoke with a foreign accent, that he had a shaved head, sallow skin, dark eyebrows and dark stubble in his face. Uh, She described the girl as kicking so hard, like a a scissor kick. She said that she was using whatever part of her body she could to get help. She said she knew something bad was happening and she thought the man was going to rape the girl. And she told him that she was going to call the guards, even though she'd no phone with her. In in fact, neither herself nor her friend Aoife had, had phones with them. And she said then the man looked like he was going to come out of the hedgerow and Her friend was afraid and the two of them were terrified and they ran. And then the jury heard of several efforts by them to contact various people they met along the way, trying to find somebody with a phone and to get help. Part of those efforts was they raised their concerns with uh, two Waterways Ireland workers and two cyclists. One of the cyclists went back down in the direction of uh, where they said they had seen the bicycle and that man alerted Gardaí and in the meantime Miss Marin had gone into a house near Capincourt Bridge also known as Digby Bridge and uh, she'd borrowed a phone for a man and she'd also rang the Gardaí. Now, Jenna Stack was then cross-examined by Pushka's defence barrister, uh, Michael Bowman. And he put it to her that rather than attacking Ashling Murphy, Pushka was in fact coming to her aid. What did Jenna Stack reply to that suggestion? Yes, she agreed with Mr Bowman that she hadn't seen the man's hands, but she said she thought he had his hands on the girl's mouth because she couldn't hear any sound. And she agreed all of this lasted at about 30 seconds. Uh, She did say she was confident in terms of her ability to observe his face. And when Mr Bowman suggested that Mr Puska was endeavouring to find out what had happened and was trying to assist Miss Murphy, uh, she said that no, he could have asked us for help. She said she wasn't aware of anyone else being present or in the field behind the hedgerow, as counsel suggested. And counsel said Mr Puska's recollection was that there was an engagement with Miss Stack, but he, Mr Puska, couldn't make out what she was saying. 
that uh, he didn't intend to be in any way aggressive. And when he was seeking to speak with her, he had pulled his leg and briars and he'd shouted out in pain. Miss Stack said to him that wasn't her recollection. And she said that she had told him she was going to call the guards. Uh, Mr. Bowman said Mr. Puska had no recollection of her saying that at all. And his recollection was not that Miss Murphy was kicking her legs in a scissor type motion. And Mr. Bowman also said that the girl was reaching out and had her hands on Mr. Puska's forearms because he was trying to stop the bleeding. Miss Stack said she knew something was wrong and she said the girl was moving every part of her body that she could possibly move and he was leaning over holding her down. Uh, she reiterated her agreement that she couldn't see his hands and she said the girl was completely distressed. When Jenna Stack was cross-examined, it was put to her that she had taken part in an identity parade organised by the Gardaí and she didn't correctly identify Joseph Pushka. Rather, she picked out somebody else. What did the court hear about this? That's correct. Uh, Miss Stack agreed that she was asked to attend an identity parade and she'd identified a person on that parade as the same person that she had seen on the canal when Mr. Bowman said that person was not Mr. Puska. And Miss Stack agreed that she'd made the identification based on her honest impression at the time. She said she had picked out the person because of his eyes. She was re-examined about this by uh, Ms. Lawler for the DPP. She said that she had made a mistake when she picked out the man that she had selected on the identity parade. And Miss Lawler asked her had she made any other mistake in her evidence and she said she hadn't. The second day of the trial seems to have been very busy. There were eight witnesses. Uh, One of the witnesses was that cyclist that you referred to. His name is Enda Malloy. uh, And he was the cyclist that the two joggers, the two women, went to and asked for help. He went back. He turned his bike around on the canal path to see if he could do anything or see anything. What did he tell the court about what he saw? Yes, he said that his recollection from what he described as a frantic conversation involving uh, Miss Stack uh, and Miss Marin near Digbury Bridge was that somebody had been attacked and he cycled back the way he had come to see if he could see anything. And he stopped when he saw a bicycle on the ground because the women had referred to a bicycle. He said he looked around the area and he saw a person. He thought it was a woman lying on her back in the ditch with her hair covering her face. And he said she was wearing a lot of clothes. He said he went down the ditch and shouted, but the person was looking motionless and he called the guardee. Now, the court also heard from a Garda called Tom Dunn and he arrived at the scene with his colleague, Garda Shane Hunter, after they'd been called. What did they say about the scene they came across and what did they say their immediate response was? Garda Dunn, he's attached to Tullamore Garda station and he said they got a call to the station on the afternoon of the 12th of January from a, a man who appeared very distressed and who said that there was a body in a ditch and he gave them direction to a location near Cap and Cure. Garda Dunn said he treated this very seriously. He uh, 
He went to the detective's office and he told them and himself and uh, Garda Shane Hunter went towards the location. They met three women near Digby Bridge who directed them towards the location and they went towards that location and then they were flagged down by a cyclist who was Mr Malloy and Garda Dunn said Mr Malloy told told them to look down there. They stopped the patrol car and they went towards uh, the ditch. They said that they saw uh, what appeared to be a, a female in the ditch. Garda Dunn said that there was a lot of blood on her face and that her hair was matted and some of it was caught in briars. He said he had the Garda get some basic medical training in Templemore and he and Garda Hunter did CPR on the female who turned out to be Ashley Murphy for about 10 minutes. He said that she was wearing a navy jacket and leggings and that she had a necklace around her neck with the word Ashling. When paramedics arrived, he helped them lift her body onto the tarmac path along the canal. At that stage, he could see holes or puncture wounds under her neck. He said that there was a phone in her jacket pocket, a car key, and he saw sunglasses on the slope down to where she had been. And he observed a bike close by, which he described as quite distinctive, with bright green on the front of it. Mary, the jury also heard evidence from Garda Andrew Dolan. What did he say? Yes, Detective Garda Dolan said he went to the scene where uh, Ashley Murphy's body was found on the afternoon of the 12th of January. And uh, he was involved in various aspects of the investigation. He said he noted at the scene the efforts to perform CPR on Miss Murphy, uh, who was pronounced dead at the scene at about 5.40 that day. The guards had arrived at the scene about quarter or ten to four that day. Uh, he said that he was aware that a description had been provided by a woman of a man she had seen on the canal and that description had been circulated. And from that description, he thought that a particular man might be a person of interest. And he learned that that man ha- was later arrested, but was released without charge. On Friday, the court heard from members of the emergency services that arrived on the scene. What do they say? In another full day of evidence on Friday, the jury heard from a paramedic who went to a location on the canal near Cap and Kerr. Advanced paramedic Paul McCabe said he and his colleague got a call around 3.49pm and they arrived at the location about seven minutes later. He said he saw two Gardaí who were down an embankment trying to assist a patient lying in the undergrowth. He said it was decided to lift her up onto the pathway to perform any medical interventions required. And as they were doing so with the assistance of the Gardaí, her jacket and a runner came off. Um, Mr McCabe said the patient's hair was matted over her face and it was totally covering it. And he could see a substantial wound or a number of wounds to the right side of her neck. He said that when he moved back her hair, he saw her eyes were open, her mouth was also open and her tongue was slightly out. He said he cut her top with a view to, to putting on shock pads with the intention of using the defibrillator. But when they put a monitor on her, they found she was in what he described as a non-shockable rhythm, meaning there weren't any signs of life. He said that having consulted with his colleagues, he said they decided to do no more. 
And he said nothing else was going to make any difference. And they covered Miss Murphy with a blanket. Another witness who gave evidence on Friday was Garda, Ronan Lawler. He's the scenes of crimes examiner. And he said he arrived at the scene on the evening of January the 12th. And he noticed numerous open wounds on the right side of Miss Murphy's neck. That Garda and the jury were shown several items found at the scene. Uh, they included sunglasses, a pink woolen hat with a bobble and two blue Nike runners. Um, they were also shown evidence bags containing a number of items recovered from Miss Murphy during the post-mortem examination of her, including a scarf, a gold-coloured ring and a gold necklace with the word Ashling on it. The jury were also shown Miss Murphy's green and navy GAA top and a heavily blood-stained white T-shirt, and those items were taken out of other evidence bags and shown to the jury, which members of Miss Murphy's family seemed quite distressed during the presentation of this evidence. As the first week ended, Mary, were the jury given any indication of how this week will unfold? The jury uh, will return to court at 2 p.m. when the prosecution case will continue. Uh, the jury hasn't been told what evidence will be called on Monday. Thanks very much, Mary. That's it for today. For more of Mary Carolyn's reporting on the Ashling Murphy murder trial, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.